Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans talk about the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. Guess what episode we're talking about this week? I'll tell you, with arms outstretched. The ninth episode of season one, which was written by Mark Schwann, directed by Gregory Prange, and originally aired on November 18th, 2003. So, Caitlin. Jeremy. This is the episode where you and I are going to start to uh, throw down. Yeah, we really are going to throw down. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to get heated (laughs) real fast. Our spoiler segments have been really heated lately. So for first time viewers, I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm sorry if we make you uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's also a good podcast material, don't you think? Definitely. There's a lot to talk about and a lot to unpack. So I'm excited. Mm, Because, yeah, things are going to get wild. And also, okay, so wait, let's do this. If you are Team Brooke, send us lip emojis. If you're Team Peyton, send us, what's a good Peyton type emoji? Hmm. Is it like an artist emoji? I was going to say something art related, (laughs) like a paintbrush or a pencil or whatever. Let's see, what are are some good emojis? Oh, wait, there's a, if you type in the word art, there's literally just a picture, like a, like a painted type thing with like a frame. Okay. So, send us that emoji if you are Team Peyton. <laughs> and send us lip emojis if you are Team Brooke. I love that we have codes for our teams now. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like a secret code. I'm kind of, I'm kind of liking it. So, like, all of our listeners can just, like, send us secret messages and nobody will know what they're talking about. Oh, but we will. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I, I'm really ready to argue. Oh, great, and I great. say that in all seriousness. Okay, okay, all right. Well, we'll see if we have a podcast after this. Let's see if we have a friendship. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion where we cannot hold back. Somebody told me that this is a place where everything's better and everything's safe. The mounting pressure from Dan finally causes Nathan to reach his breaking point. He resorts to taking amphetamines to boost his performance during the basketball game against Cove City. Between the pressure to break Dan's scoring record and the effects of the drugs, Nathan doesn't act like himself and treats people, including Haley, terribly. During the game, Nathan collapses and ends up in the hospital. This is enough of a scare to make him realize what's most important in life so he leaves his room in order to admit his past mistakes and apologize to Haley. Whitey admits he is part of the problem to Keith and never wants Nathan or any of his players to feel that pressure again. Shockingly, the coach cancels basketball until further notice. Also, as a result of Nathan's collapse, Deb and Dan have a heated argument. Deb believes Dan has gone too far with the pressure he puts on Nathan, so she demands he packs a bag and leaves the house or else she will stab him in his sleep. Go Deb! Woo! In other relationship news, there is a love triangle heating up. Lucas and Brooke go on a date where there's a lot of flirting, making out, and even a tattoo for Lucas. Which doesn't mean what we think it means. And Peyton changes her mind about the type of relationship she wants with Lucas, and goes to his house to admit she wants all of the same things he wants. Except, guess what? Brooke's already there. Dun, dun, dun. Chilling in the retro booths at Deb's Diner, I'm Caitlin Illinich. 
Ooh, sounds like fun. And once in all of the same things you want. And once in them with you, I am Jeremy Rodriguez. Love it. <laughs> You're probably surprised I was using a, a Peyton line there, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, that really threw me for a second. It's beautiful. I can't help it. So I am a sucker for a good line. I'll give it to that. <laughs> it is a good line. We'll talk more <laughs> about that later. Yes. So today's episode is titled after the song With Arms Outstretched by Rilo Kylie. What did you think of the song, Jeremy? I really enjoyed it. It has like sort of like a um like a hymn type myth. Like I like the whole like, you know, orchestral vibe behind it. Yeah, it um, did kind of have that vibe. Yeah. And I really like how it applied to Nathan, um, particularly the lyrics, and I promise you I'm doing the best I can, which that's exactly what he's doing. He is doing his absolute best. He's getting so much pressure from Dan, Whitey, and so many other outside forces to just, you know, be the best at the game. And also the lyric in particular that resonated with me is, now don't fool yourself and thinking you're more than a man, which that's exactly what Nathan is trying to do. He has so much pressure on him from other people that he has to realize, like, he's just a kid. Not even just a man, like, he is a kid. He shouldn't have so much pressure thrown at him. I really like that connection. When I was reading the lyrics to the song and listening, I didn't really pay attention to that line. So I think that really relates to the episode and the conflicts, like, the inner conflicts that Nathan's going through. The Mm. pressure. Everything that you said. And the line that stood out to me in the chorus... And if you want me, you better speak up. I won't wait, so you better move fast. That, I think- I missed that line. Yeah, I think that line directly relates to Lucas and Peyton. Specifically Peyton and her. Her getting, like, the courage to speak up and admit her true feelings to Lucas. But she waited a little bit too long at the same time. She didn't really move fast enough, obviously, because- Mm -hmm. Brooke ended up being there, so. <laughs> yeah, she did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a little bit of a smirk on my face, like, yeah, Brooke ended up being there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start with me. Don't you dare. <laughs> this is what the listeners want, Caitlin. They want conflicts. They're gonna I get it. <laughs> Big time. I like that we're gonna disagree on this, though, because, like, we can represent, like, both sides of the spectrum. Whether or not you're Team Peyton and Team Brooke, like, every listener will have somebody to relate to. So, I'm enjoying that. Bring some diversity to the mix here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Love it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Nathan and his steroid use in this episode. So, there is a particular line where Nathan calls up Tim, and he asks for some steroids, and um, Tim answers the phone. He says, what's up, baller? And then Nathan's like, you know you're white, Tim. Oh, gosh. I didn't even realize that. He said that? Yeah. I didn't catch it until my second watch <laughs> for this recording, which it's kind of bad taste. Like, and, and I don't think Nathan meant it in a way of saying, like, hey, you're appropriating black culture by using that term. Like, I don't think that's what Nathan meant. Mm-hmm. I think Nathan meant, like, hey, it's, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself for using that term because that is a term for black culture, so... I just wanted to give that little line a call out, because it's problematic, I think. Yeah, that's definitely problematic. Doesn't really surprise me that you would hear something like that in the early 2000s. Especially because Nathan has, to the best of our knowledge, Nathan does not have any black friends or anything either. So so him trying to say something like that is very, it's just wrong. Yeah, definitely poor taste, for sure. So, just wanted to give that a little call out, but... 
Let's talk a little bit more about the actual plot line. <laughs> oh, boy. I have problems with Nathan in this episode, obviously, which we'll get to that. But I feel really bad for him, like mm-hmm. really bad for him at the same time. Dan is, we have said this already, he is terrible. But I feel like in this episode, you're just seeing more of this abuse. And let's, yeah, totally. let's say it for what it is. Dan is an abuser. Mm-hmm. While we haven't witnessed any physical abuse, we heard that one story a few episodes ago from Nathan when he was a kid. But we have seen so many examples of him verbally abusing Nathan. It's disgusting. So Definitely. I'm not really that shocked that Nathan would get so desperate and like other athletes probably feel that same pressure and resort to these drugs. I'm obviously no way condoning them to that choice. But right. it's not surprising that he didn't feel like he had a way out. Yeah, like, in a way, like, it is, um, it was Nathan's choice to use the performance-enhancing drugs, which altered his behavior, definitely. Yeah. However, like, we do need to, like, you know, take a deeper look at it and say, like, okay, why did he feel the need to take them? And Dan was the direct cause of that. Definitely. And even, um, when Nathan's in the hospital at the end of the episode, Dan even says, this is just a minor slip-up. The scouts won't even remember it come postseason. Like, you're still focusing on basketball. You don't even care about the fact that your kid is fucking okay. He doesn't take any accountability, even with Deb, when they're arguing later. Yeah. No accountability at all. It's like Dan's living in his own world, and Nathan's living in reality. Dan believes what he wants to believe. He doesn't really see the complete picture, and he doesn't see how hurt Nathan is. Yeah. Like, emotionally hurt. I just, I don't like him. And he even asked um, Nathan to lie to Deb to say, mm-hmm. like, hey, tell your mother that you're happy. And I like that Nathan sort of defied him. He was like, Dad loves me. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy, Mom. <laughs> I, th- I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, but also, let's talk a little bit about, like, Whitey's pressure on Nathan as well. I feel like it's a little bit more subtle. And unlike Dan, Whitey does take some accountability for it. Yeah, I think... It says a lot that he actually canceled basketball and he had that that conversation with Keith where Mm -hmm. he never wants this to happen again. And he's been coaching for what, 30, I think he said 35 years or something. Yeah. And this is not what he wanted to happen in his career. Yeah. So he really has to take a step back. One of my favorite quotes, which I'm not, it's not my favorite quote of the episode, but I wrote it down just in case I wanted to use it as my favorite quote. He says, you know why they made whiskey, Keith? For the poor fool that wakes up after 35 years and discovers he's part of the problem. Well, no more. I'll forfeit the damn games before I lose a boy to that. And I'm like, oh, Whitey. That was a really nice comment. Yes. And the fact that he said that to Keith, I don't know, there's something about it. It just made it, it was a nice scene to see those two. It's such a different vibe with Whitey and Keith versus, you know, Whitey and Dan. And earlier in the episode, Whitey and Dan were arguing and I think... I can't remember exactly what was said, but it just shows the pressure that both of them are putting on these players, or Nathan yeah. specifically. Yeah, you're you're talking about the conversation where Whitey calls out Dan, saying that you're yeah. saying, "Hey, Dan, you're doing all this stuff, and you're putting so much pressure on Nathan." And then Dan actually calls Whitey out and says, "Oh, well, I also didn't tell my son that he wouldn't be awake the next morning if he lost the game." And I feel like that really shows Whitey's growth too, because during that conversation, he just like pushes it aside, like oh, whatever. I didn't have anything to do with that, but he realizes at the end, like, "Hey, I was I was actually wrong." Yeah, 
in a way, I feel like it was appropriate that he realized that with Keith, because Keith's often like the voice of reason, and they, they're close friends, so. Definitely. It was just a nice moment. Mm-hmm. And um, one last thing I do want to say about this uh, steroid storyline. So, shortly before we started recording, Caitlin, you don't know about this, but we got a listener message. Oh, we did? Yes, we did. Awesome. Are you ready for it? And it actually had something to do with this episode. And this is just a reminder, if you slide into our DMs and you start talking to us, we may read some of your messages on the show. There's a possibility. So feel free to send us anything. Send us your, if you're a first-time watcher, send us your theories. If you watch it a million times and you're just coming up with epiphanies, let us know, because we would love to talk about it. Ooh, I would um, love to hear theories for first, yes. first-time watchers. Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> so um, actually, this message, and uh, this message was from Nicolette. Hi, Nicolette. Hi, Nicolette. Nicolette sent a message, like, you know, just like her impressions as like a first time viewer and whatnot. And this was like early on, like, I think she only watched like maybe a few episodes or so of season one. And her theory during the first couple episodes is that Nathan was using steroids even in the beginning of season one. And that's why he like is, he's like kind of rude and he kind of like um, lashes out at people a lot. And that just made me think, like, I wonder if Nathan was using steroids, like, even early on in the season. Wow, that's pretty wild. I never thought of that before. Yeah, like, it, it kind of blew my mind. And, like, of course, like, I'm not, you know, I wasn't going to, like, tell her anything. Be like, huh. I wasn't going to be like, well, in episode nine, it actually is revealed that he is taking steroids. <laughs> but I, I feel like um, prior, like, in previous watches, I kept thinking, like, oh, this is this is his first time using steroids. Whatever. So Nicolette made this prediction before she saw this yeah, episode? Yeah, before she saw this episode. Wow. Huh. I mean, it makes sense. For sure. He was out of control at the beginning of the season. His mood, moody and just mean and lashing out and everything. Yeah, like he could have been taking like smaller doses of steroids like early on in the season. Because I mean, obviously, like he has experience with, like he knows that Tim's, I think it was Tim's brother, right? Who was... Who was yeah, it was steroids. some connection to Tim. So he knew where to get it. Yeah, he knew exactly where to get it. So it just makes you think, like, does he have a, like, does he have some type of connection to it? Obviously, in this episode, he takes, like, a lot. So that's why he passes out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, could he have been using steroids this entire time? Huh. I, that's a really, really valid prediction. Yes. Nice job. <laughs> Nicolette. <laughs> So the, the, this just, I mean, this just shows you, like, you know, even if you're a first-time viewer, you can bring, like, a completely new experience, because, like, all of that, oh, like, yeah. you know. There are little things that we probably won't even think too deeply about, you know? Yeah. Because we've seen it a bunch of times. Like, you and I are kind of biased. Like, I feel like, we, like we're like we stuck in our own thoughts. Like, we are trying to think a little bit more critically of the show this time around. But, yeah, like, that was a very, very interesting perspective, and it really blew my mind. So, thank you, Nicolette, for that message. Do we want to touch on some of the issues with Nathan and Haley? Yeah. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't even really know where to begin, honestly. He is terrible. He's just mean, flat out mean to her multiple times. She never did anything to him. And then obviously the scene in the bedroom where he's pretty much, he's forcing herself on her and she's not Mm -hmm. into it. Doesn't want it at all. That's pretty clear and you know obviously totally wrong she's not consenting to any of that he violated her boundaries for sure and 
I think personally, the drugs must have like really been getting him so hyped up and tense. Like, do you think mm-hmm. that was the cause of it? Or do you think that he was just being aggressive because of the pressure? Like, I don't want to give excuses, but I kind of want to figure out why this happened. I would like to think it was a little bit of, yes, the drugs that affect his behavior. Um, that's why he was like acting like a little bit erratic with her, and he was a little bit meaner her than normal. However, I also want to point out the fact that he is a toxic male. He basically just wants sex with his girlfriend, and she said no, and he just acted, like, really, really badly. Like, after Haley asked him to leave, he should have just been like, okay, like, I I will, I don't want to say I commend him for this, but I do like that after Haley, um, after Haley pushes him off, um, Nathan says, oh, I'm, okay, I'm sorry, Haley, like, you know, let's just go back to studying. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, like, he's apologizing for it, that's, that's great of him. And then Haley asks him to leave. And then that's what he's like, unbelievable. And that's where I felt like, okay, like, this is just, you're just a shitty person at this point. Yeah. So I really did not like how he treated her in that regard at all. It's like the drugs or the stress or both were making him act and do things before he could really think about what he was doing. Yeah. I definitely don't want to make excuses for him, though, because, like, he, he was forcing himself on her. And oh, was, yeah. She was not consenting. And I'm not making excuses at all. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. I don't think either one of us is, but. Absolutely not. I, I feel a little bit better if he didn't, if he didn't say unbelievable. I feel a little bit better about like how that mm-hmm. storyline like panned out. And I can't believe that he acted this way. And then I think right before the game, he was, he yelled at her for no reason and said that he was stressed out and that everyone was going to be watching him during the game that was just about to start. And Haley still goes and watches the game. I would have been like, see ya. I understand that, but Lucas was also at the game, so. I know. I would have been very upset with him, because he just. Yeah. So, like, I, I felt that way, too. I was like, oh, you like, you still went to, you still went to the game? You supported him? But, like, I was like, okay, well, Lucas is still there. Yeah, that's like, true. I get it. But let's talk a little bit about Haley's sexual experiences. In this episode, we find out that she is a quote-unquote virgin. I didn't like that scene at all. Yeah. Oh, tell me about your feelings. I have my own feelings. Maybe we'll agree on some things. (laughs) I don't like that it's made to be weird that she's a virgin and she's 17. Yeah. That, to me, that bothers me a lot. It's like, no, it shouldn't be that shocking that she is because she's a teenager. I do like that Peyton says, good for you. Like, just like affirming, like, her choices there. Yeah. I, she was cool about it, but I don't like the element of surprise. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, it's such a twist that she's 17 and a virgin. Like, yeah. come on and, now. And also, too, virginity is a social construct, and that's a whole other tangent I could get on. And I can I get on my SJW pedestal and whatnot, but, you know, you have every right to just say, like, oh, I, I'm choosing not to have sex. That is great. Like, you can feel free to not have sex. If you choose to have all the sex in the world, like, no big deal. But either way, virginity is a social construct. It is just a term that the patriarchy uses to try to make women feel like they're more than or less than based on whether or not they have slept with a penis. And I don't know, like, um, I don't watch many teen shows apart from Riverdale, but, like, I feel like um, teen shows have started to veer away from this sort of thing. Like, people don't really use the term, like, like, oh, I'm a virgin. Nobody really uses those terms anymore. Huh, that's a good point. You're right. You don't really hear that conversations about that anymore. 
you watch a few teen shows like what like you watch like all american and whatnot do they use terms like that or is it just like sort of like hey this person is having sex whatever no i don't think virginity was ever talked about maybe a little bit in all american i don't know i can't really think but i I feel like it's not, like, this full-blown thing that it used to be. Yeah. You know, I think even back to, like, Dawson's Creek era, like, that was huge in that show. Oh, yeah. Huge. Like, oh, I lost my virginity. Like, okay, like, what does that that mean at the end of the day? Like, why is that such, like, a big, like, special thing? Like, sex can be special. It It absolutely can be. But to use it as, like, a way of saying, like, I lost my virginity. Like, no, don't. You should yeah. That's a term that should not exist. I hate it. Through the years, I've started to realize how much of an issue I have with that term, actually. Yeah, definitely. Even the show Jane the Virgin. I'm about to spoil the fuck out of Jane the Virgin. Oh, everybody. shit. We forgot <laughs> it's in the title. But it's, but it's a little different. It's different, though. Yeah, because, again, I'm spoiling Jane the Virgin. <laughs> she is not a virgin for the entire show. But when she does lose her virginity, though, and I'm using those terms in, like, big air quotes, but when she does lose her virginity, it's not in a season finale. It's not in a mid-season finale. It's, like, the third episode of a random season. Because, you you know, in that show, like, it was just about the idea, like, hey, she didn't want to have sex until she was married, and that's, that's great. That's her decision. But they didn't make such an emphasis on the fact that, like, she lost her virginity. Yeah. She kind of owned that belief. In that show. Yeah, and that's great. You can do that. There's nothing wrong. Like, if you don't want to have sex until you're married, great. And it also refers to, like, the initial twist in the pilot. So this is not a spoiler if she gets pregnant without actually having sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an hilarious concept. Oh, my God. It is such a great, that is such a great show if anybody hasn't watched it. Fantastic show. Go watch it. It's on, I think, Netflix. Go binge it. It's on Netflix, yeah. Anyway, that's that's the end of my soapbox moment with, <laughs> quote-unquote, virginity. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, in that same scene, though, with, uh, between Peyton and Haley, though, I like that th- this part just made me laugh, and I just want to talk about it. Peyton's like, is connected with someone really this complicated? Or is it simple, and we just make it worse? And then Haley responds, for me, it's complicated. You just make it worse. <laughs> it, it just tickled me. I don't know why. <laughs> You know, even though I had issues a little bit with that scene, it was kind of a nice, like, you're really starting to see their relationship or their friendship develop. And little, just teasing like that, I I just, yeah, yeah, I loved it too. (laughs) (laughs) They have great chemistry together. I'm absolutely loving it. But at the end of the episode, after escaping from the hospital, Nathan goes to Haley's house and he essentially apologizes for everything that he did. This is Nathan at his most vulnerable. Yeah. We have never seen him like this. He's fully breaking down, and he realizes the many mistakes he's made involving Haley, even not involving Haley, I think you're supposed to assume. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just love this. I-, I love what he's like, when I fell on the floor tonight, I was so scared, so terrified. Then I saw you, and I promised myself, if I could just get up and walk over to you, and tell you how much I need you, how much I want you, then nothing else matters. And then the two of them kiss, and then Haley walks to her bedroom door, and then Nathan's like, Haley, will you stay with me tonight? And then she closes the door. So, is this supposed to insinuate (laughs) that they are going to have sex? I think it's leaving us on a cliffhanger, you know, because, like, that's such a big deal, the fact that, like, you know, the fact that a quote-unquote virgin is about to have sex, this is a big deal. 
you know, so I feel like they're playing on that. They are playing but on that, yeah. That was a 2003 perspective. Us in 2020, we don't give a fuck. Haley, have sex with Nathan, don't have sex with Nathan. Do whatever the fuck you want to. Just just do something that's safe and consensual. They're making it into this, like, twist or, you know, what happens next type thing, so. Right, because, you know, Haley is definitely going to have, you know, it's going to change her character if she has sex, and it doesn't. It does not change your character if you have no. sexual intercourse. Ugh. Oh, boy. But that is an iconic scene, though, like her um, just closing the door. I like that there was a resolution in that scene, and that Nathan actually starts to own up to what he's done. Yeah. It, you know, it just, it ended the episode nicely that he was able to make it up to Haley, and I'm curious to see what happens next. I mean, I know what happens next, but I'm curious to see it anyway. I'm (laughs) curious to see it again. Like, oh, this episode has so much, like, mid-season finale energy. I'm, it like, has I'm some good for. content. Some real good content. Yes. Let's talk about the other thing that happens. It's between um, Zeb and Dan. Dang. That argument. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy crap. Deb was on fire. Absolutely on fire. Yeah, like, Dan's just being such a jackass to her for the entire episode. He comes into the cafe, asks her for some coffee, and he's like, oh, are you trying to ruin Karen's business? This coffee isn't good. Blah, 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 blah. Is that a good impression of Dan? Yep. Thanks. He's just awful. <laughs> and I'm going to say that over and over again. He's just awful. Yes. Deb's trying to do this nice thing, and he has to come in, and he has to make a comment, and yada, yada, yada. It's like, go away. <laughs> and... I'm glad that she stood up to him at the end in this Mm -hmm. argument because he didn't even call her when Nathan collapsed. Yeah. And he's already in a hospital bed and she still doesn't know. What? That scene where Haley comes to the cafe, because Haley thought about Deb first. Uh Uh-huh. Haley was about to go to the hospital that she realized, like, oh, crap, Deb's at the cafe. Let me turn around so Deb can go and check mm-hmm. on her son. Because my feelings are a little bit, like, it's not that my feelings are invalid, but I would imagine, like, my boyfriend's mother probably cares and wants to see her son. So she really thought about Deb in that moment. And she walks to the cafe and she's like, hey, you should go. And then Deb's like, go where? And she's like, did you hear? And then, like, th- that scene, like, it rips my heart out. Can you imagine the panic? As a mother, yeah. you know, hearing that. Right. It's so talented. Even in, like, Barbara Allen Woods' like, um, facial expressions in that scene. She's like, what? What's going on? Like, she's uh, she has such good face acting in that moment. I do not blame Deb at all for being at her wit's end with Dan in this episode. Yes. Because this is finally the last straw. Mm-hmm. Dan has put so much pressure on Nathan. Deb has constantly questioned Dan about that. Dan just kind of, you know, explains it away. Nothing gets resolved, and now things have gotten worse to the fact that Nathan's in the hospital. So, she's angry. Rightfully so. And I think that goes without, you know. And she kicks him out. Yep. Oh my god, I mmm, mmm, okay. (laughs) And she wants to keep Nathan. Yes. Obviously. Mm. I want you out of this house, or so help me god, I will stab you in your sleep. (laughs) Mm. That is that is one of the best Deb lines. I, I, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love Barbara Allen Woods so much. Like I feel like, I, like I've always, I've always loved Deb, but I, I don't know. I feel like during this watch, I'm having such like uh, so many warm feelings toward her. She brings this character to life, and I love what she does with this character. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. And then 
after she kicks him out, Dana obliges, and then he says, do you really think Nathan will pick you over me? I know. Who do you think Nathan would really choose? I would hope he would choose Deb, but I feel like they don't have, like, a super close relationship either. Right. I mean, yeah, you would think, but... You would think he would want to get away from Dan, for sure. Mm-hmm. There's more I want to say that's going to be relegated to the spoiler section. I know, I didn't want to say too much either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but overall, fantastic scene. Oh my god. And, you know, the fact that Dan actually left fairly easily is a little surprising in itself, don't you think? I mean... I thought there'd be a little bit more of a fight. I mean, there was, but... I feel like if Dan pushed back, like, anymore... Like, if he just said, like, no, this is my house, I'm not going anywhere. I feel like it would have veered into, like, to the point where he would just be unlikable. Mm-hmm. So, I, I feel like that's what the writers... The writers are trying to make him a little bit likable in that sense, but... I feel like if this is real life, if Dan was, like, a real person, I don't think he would have left the fucking house. I know. I, I think him staying in the house, I feel like, aligns more with his character so far yeah but thank god he did peace out dan yes and i wonder what's gonna happen with this relationship hopefully things start to get better for nathan yeah definitely but let's talk about another relationship i am also very curious about caitlin (laughs) lucas and brooke (laughs) they have their first date what are you? What are your? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Caitlin? Well, what first off, I think it's hilarious that they had the deal where she had to read the book and then they could go on a date. Mm-hmm. And she reads that book so fast, like I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Because I couldn't even get through <laughs> and the you book. You couldn't even finish and the book. <laughs> it was literally like the next day she had finished the book. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was and funny. Then she, she, go, she goes up to him at the, uh, at the pizza place. She's like, three more chapters and you're all mine. <laughs> it happened so quickly. Oh, man. <laughs> Which, by the way, I gotta say, I have used a similar pickup line like that. It wasn't for a book, but it was for, like, somebody trying to get me to watch, like, a favorite TV show of theirs. I'd be like, and I, I would say something like, three more episodes and you're all mine. <laughs> you so, you used that? So, like, I identified with Brooke more so than oh, I feel like man. I ever have. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> yes. I did not take the I did not take the guy to um get a tattoo or anything like that though. Yeah, why did they have to go and get a tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um that tattoo I don't think this spoils anything at all, but in this episode, Lucas says that the tattoo that he gets with Brooke means fun. Um, later on in the series, a character says that that sign does not mean what you think it means. And I looked it up. Do you know what it actually means? I can't remember, but I remember that happening. There are two possible words it could mean. It could mean have or exist. Have? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Or or exist. Hmm. Which I'm like, I mean, I I guess that could have a deeper meaning too, I guess, but... I guess. That's kind of strange. I just wonder, like, when this episode was written, or, like, you know, when the when the tattoo was actually designed for Lucas, did they just, like, not realize, like, oh, yeah, this means fun, and then they realize, like, oh, fuck, that's not actually what it means. I wonder. I feel like a lot of times people get tattoos, and they think it means one thing, and it ends up meaning something different, so I feel like that's real. <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah, symbols. definitely. Mm-hmm. I had a friend of a friend who um she got like a she got a tramp stamp of like the Chinese symbol for what she thought was peace, 
And then she actually had a um, Chinese person like look at the sign and said like, oh, like, look at my sign. He says, that means stop. It means what? Stop. Oh, wow. (laughs) How do you get that wrong? Like, why is someone tattooing the wrong thing? How do they not know? Oh, my gosh. This is where I feel like you get into issues of like cultural appropriation. Like if you don't under, if you don't really know or understand that culture, you probably should not get it tattooed on you. Uh huh. Agree. Uh, but whatever. There was definitely a lot of flirting going on in this episode. That's for sure. This I never realized how sexy their flirtation is. They have so so much chemistry together. They do. Chad Murray and Sophia Bush. I mean, this is like the start of their real life relationship, too, so. Yeah, I was about to say. So I think like they're drawing from that, like, power they were having with each other, you know? I think a lot of that chemistry was real. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like, that's, it comes ugh. through. <laughs> like, honestly, like, you know, even me as a queer man, like, I was even, like, falling for some of Brooke's charm. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, ooh, you love beating me at pool? Okay, all right. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she there there's a lot of chemistry for sure, but I in a way I feel like Brooke's doing a lot of the the flirting and like whatnot and Luke's kinda going along with it. He's along for the ride, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how he thinks so like, oh, this is all we have to do. We're just gonna go for drinks and play pool. And then she's like Wait, you thought this was the thing I wanted you to do? No, this is drinks before the thing. <laughs> and then she like pulls out her pants and shows him her tattoo. And she's like, what do you think of this tattoo? And he's like, that tattoo is very, very sexy. <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that just made me laugh. I'm doing a lot of ASMR in this episode for some reason. <laughs> I wonder what this is going to sound like when I edit it. That was very, very sexy. (laughs) Let us know if you want me to do an ASMR shows. I feel like all I'm doing (laughs) is just laughing at everything you say. (laughs) You're reenacting everything tonight. What if I just, like, speak the rest of the episode like this? Like, do you think I could get some, like, more fans? Huh? I can't hear you. I guess not. <laughs> Please don't whisper. <laughs> well, if you would like me to record my own ASMR show, feel free to tweet me at Rodriguez Jeremy. Send me a peach emoji. <laughs> and I'll see what I can do. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, did you ever see the movie Weird Science? No, I haven't. Neither have I. Um, <laughs> but... I- <laughs> You thought I was going to come through with a great pop culture reference, weren't you? Yeah, I thought so. No, I I really don't have anything. I just want I just want to know, like, why did that's really how the scene begins? Um, Brooke just says, "Oh, tell me you loved weird science," and Lucas says, "Ah, the family jewels." And then Brooke's like, "He doesn't even have a license, Lisa." Like, what was the significance of that scene? I don't know. I guess it was just supposed to show like they had something in common. Because so far, I don't think. They have really that much in common. That's cute. Uh, yeah, that's just, yeah. I like that idea, yeah. It's just like a nice, like, throwaway line to just say, like, oh, look at them. They have something in common. They have chemistry about something. Yep, I think it was just character development, but I, I'm i interested now to see, like, that scene in the actual movie. Yeah. 
<laughs> I did look, I, I looked up the scene, like, he doesn't even have a license, Lisa. Like, it's, it's really just this kid who's, like, in the back of a car and he's drunk. He's like, he doesn't even have a license, Lisa. <laughs> I couldn't find the family jewel scene, so like maybe that's maybe that's a movie you and I should watch together one day. Like watch like Weird Science, and then maybe like we'll find out like wow, this movie has like a really deep connection to this episode. <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> no, but okay. <laughs> Could you imagine like you watch it, you're like wow, like we we're gonna have to re-record 109 <laughs> because Weird Science is such a big part of One Trio. <laughs> Rerecord the first eight episodes. We just gotta redo the show because <laughs> weird science is such an important part of the series. I can't with you tonight. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Let's get back oh, on track boy. here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, um, let's talk a little bit about Keith and his um reaction to um Lucas coming home drunk and everything. What did you make of like all those interactions? I would be annoyed, too, because he's responsible for Lucas right now, and look what he goes and does, and this is, like, totally out of Luke's- I mean, a tattoo's really not that big of a deal, but I guess if you're 17, first off, I'm kind of going on a tangent now, and that was an incomplete thought, but- (laughs) Can you get a tattoo at 17 without parental consent? Or maybe you can in North Carolina? I don't know. Age of consent's even 16 there. Yeah. I don't know about now, but I know back then, age of consent was 16. Well, Luke, it's out of Luke's character to do things without, like, just to do spontaneous things like that. Like, he's not really so far known to be doing stuff like that. But, like, I I understand, like, he's concerns over the tattoo though he's because like you know lucas ends up like bleeding everything like that where did he get that tattoo like you need to make sure that you're going to a safe place because yeah go to a reputable tattoo artist of course like don't just what did he say he said like where did she get this and uh in the alleys of scandinavia or something like whatever he said yeah <laughs> but yeah like who knows where lucas got that tattoo yeah we never actually see that part <laughs> he just <laughs> had his tattoo probably because he's drunk mm-hmm so, can we talk about my part now? I guess. I guess. Let's talk about your part, Caitlin. So, this whole episode, it starts off with Peyton saying to Luke again, like, she just wants to be friends. Then she also says it to Haley in their conversation, that he's fair game. You know, she's not putting her claim on him or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can also tell that she's contemplating the whole time as well, like, She's not too sure about it. She's calling him when he doesn't pick up. He's on the date. She's doing her art of that scene when they... Did you notice a difference in that, by the way? There was a difference? I thought it was the... And we can't have it. No, this one, it says we can. So she changed it. Oh. So she has, like, a little bit of a fantasy going on where she changed her mind and said that, like, we can have it. So she's, like, that's a fantasy she's playing with her mind, and she's playing it out in her artwork. Yeah. Well, you could tell she was just contemplating doing that artwork and Mm -hmm. thinking about her feelings and, and whatnot. So I feel so bad for her, and I get that she's made it abundantly clear that she just wants to be friends she said it multiple times at this point to different people including luke but at the same time i still feel bad because peyton has such a hard time from what we know about her character she's a hard time opening up because look what happened with with nathan she had such a terrible relationship with nathan she couldn't really be herself it wasn't a happy relationship so 
I don't blame her for being hesitant to get into some a new relationship. Yeah. And she's finally comes to Luke's door and opens up and admits her feelings. She wants the same things that he wants, and she wants them with Luke. It kind of breaks my heart when Brooke walks in. And I know, I know we're arguing about this, but, like, it makes me sad. It makes me sad, too. <laughs> Don't think I'm completely heartless. So you feel bad about Peyton? Yes, I do feel bad about Peyton. Okay, give me I more. I have a heart. Believe it or not, I have a heart, Caitlin. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. Caitlin's just nodding, like, <laughs> I guess you do. You're like, I, I guess. Um, especially because, like, you know, like, Peyton's coming in and she's, like, bearing her soul and bearing her heart out. And then, like, Brooke comes in and she's like, all right, superstar, ready to score. Mm-hmm. And it's just like such a deep contrast from like what from like what Peyton's feel, and it's just like it's it's very uncomfortable. It's very very awkward. We have this potentially deep relationship versus like the fun, fun and flirty type thing going on currently. And then Peyton starts to leave, and then Lucas is like Peyton, and then she turns around, and then like. The two of them, and like all three of them are just staring at each other. And it's one of the, my favorite moments of traumatic stares on One Tree Hill. <laughs> I know. I know it's being used for traumatic effects, but could you imagine this happening in real life? Where, like, you know, you talk, where you call out your potential girlfriends and your new current flame is like standing right beside you and you just stare, and then all three of you are just staring at each other. Keep in mind, there's no music playing in the background. Could you imagine that? I cannot imagine that. I would be turning right around like Peyton was about to do, so. <laughs> Not a single one of them says, okay, like, what, what what's, what's going on? <laughs> and also, think about, these are supposed to be teenagers. Like, can you just imagine? I feel like all of your feelings are heightened, obviously, when you're a teenager. So, like, you're opening up to someone like this for probably the first time. I don't think she ever probably opened up like this with Nathan before. Their relationship really wasn't portrayed in that way. And, like, I just cannot imagine that mm-hmm. happening when you're, like, a kid still. Ugh. You weren't in a love triangle as a teenager, Caitlin? I was never in a love triangle as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could have handled that. <laughs> I don't know if I could have either. So, okay, so being a love triangle, for, for one, then, like, there needs to actually be at least one person interested in you. <laughs> what? I said, in order to be in a love triangle, like, there needs to be at least one person interested in you, though. I was lucky to have any in high school. Oh, Jeremy. <laughs> um, but yeah, this whole entire thing, who will Lucas choose? Will he choose... The girl that he had chemistry with since episode one. Or will he choose his new flame, Brooke Davis, who swung him to the dark side and give in to his temptations? Should get pretty interesting from here on out. Mm-hmm. We're getting to the real good stuff. Okay, so one thing I gotta say, though, about Peyton in this episode. One thing, she does not have many scenes. And it just sort of comes out of the blue, the fact that she just... Comes up and says, like, oh, Lucas, I actually have feelings for you. And there's, like, there's no build-up to it at all. Well, I think there was. Remember that scene with Brooke when she tells Peyton she kissed Lucas? You can tell that there's some jealousy there. Yeah, there's some jealousy there. But, like, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it all comes across as, like, I'm jealous, so now I gotta tell him how I feel. 
And that's what I don't like about the portrayal. Mm-hmm. However, there is a lot from this episode that was cut. Yeah. Looking at the deleted scenes, there's a whole storyline that was chopped. Yeah. Like- and I guess we should explain to our listeners what happens in this like string of deleted scenes. Um, there's like 10 minutes of deleted, of deleted scenes for this episode, and they all have to do with Peyton and this orphan girl named Stella. And Stella's an orphan at this orphanage. She's an artist, just like Peyton. She's very abrasive, much like Peyton. And, you know, and the two of them have like some bonding sessions throughout the episode. Haley introduces them because apparently Haley volunteers there. Yeah, apparently vol- Haley volunteers at an orphanage. Like, what does she have time for? Like, she tutors. <laughs> Oh my gosh. She works at Karen's Cafe. She's a a busy gal. Um, But anyway, so Peyton and Stella have like a lot of bonded moments throughout. And one thing that Stella confides uh, to Peyton is that there was was a foster family who took her in. And Stella loved this family so, so much. But like, essentially she was like too afraid of like opening up her heart to somebody else. So she told the foster family that she hated them. So she tells that to Peyton, and then she gives Peyton a drawing of a house, and we're led to believe it's the same house that she was fostered in. So Peyton takes that drawing, and then she goes to find that house. And she knocks on the door, gives the drawing to who we're led to believe is Stella's old foster mother, and then Peyton says that Stella's sorry for what she said earlier. And basically, this whole storyline is about second chances. So this young girl... Mm -hmm. Will hopefully get a second chance with a foster family, which mirrors what Peyton wants in her own life—a second chance with Lucas. Yeah, and and as she's as Peyton's walking away from the foster mother's house, the foster mother says, "How do you know Stella?" And then Peyton's like, "I've been her," and that's when you start to realize there's so many parallels between like between what Stella has gone through and what Peyton is going through. And I feel like if this. If, if this storyline was, like, kept to the episode, Peyton would have been so much more sympathetic. I would have, like, understood why she did this. Yeah, I think it, it does add to that whole arc, story arc, with her changing her feelings. So, yeah, I just feel like Peyton's, like, you know, the scenes that we do see, Peyton's not in many scenes in this episode because of this whole storyline getting cut out. I feel like that hurts her story because of that. And it's, yeah, it's such a large chunk of, of scenes to cut. We don't get that large of a story on any other DVDs, I don't think. Yeah. So it's interesting. And oh, fun fact, and I'm sure you realize this, the actress who played Stella is Andrea Bowen, who was Julie on Desperate Housewives. Yes, I did know this. (laughs) (laughs) She's a little baby. (laughs) She is a little baby. Oh, man. It's funny, she's not even that young here, though, because this was a year before Desperate Housewives Mm came out. (laughs) So it's funny it's funny to think about. I don't know if I ever realized she was like, I think I looked at these deleted scenes so long ago that I don't even remember. So I don't know if I ever oh, wow. knew that she was in this. As oh, well. wow. Yeah, I I remembered it because I watched the DVDs like two years after I started watching Desperate Housewives. So uh, I recognized okay. her immediately. Got it. So at that point, Andrea Andrea Bowen was like still young at yeah. that point. So, so I'd recognize her. Like by the time you watched, she was probably much older. Yep. Probably. But yes, that's, I feel like that's my biggest issue with Peyton in this episode, though. I can see what you mean. It comes out of the blue a bit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's us, but it's us at the same time, but so, I don't know. I'm not really liking Peyton because I'm not really liking Peyton. I am sorry. 
But I do feel more sympathy for her with the context of the deleted scenes. So go get the DVDs, folks, and <laughs> yes, watch this deleted scene because it adds to the episode. You won't find it on Hulu. So much gold with the deleted scenes. All right, let's talk about some of our top favorite moments, our favorite quote, our favorite musical moment, and our score for the episode. Woo! What was your favorite quotes? I had many favorite quotes <laughs> okay. in this episode, but... Okay, so I'm going to give my favorite, and then I'll give some shout-outs as well. Okay. So, my favorite quote, and this is for Team Peyton, <laughs> is what Peyton says to Luke, because I love that scene, and I'll give a little bit... I'll get, uh, I won't even get ahead of myself. I love this scene. The truth is, I want all the same things that you want. I do. And I want them with you. Oh my god, I just love it so much, I can't handle it. I'm not going to lie to you. That was my favorite quote, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you jumping teams? I'm not I'm not saying I'm jumping teams. I'm just saying I like I like Hillary's delivery of that line. Really good delivery. So I, I'm a complex human being with a lot of different feelings and emotions. I can feel multiple things at, at the same time, Caitlin. Okay. It's just a such it's such a sweet moment. I mm-hmm. she ugh, she's so vulnerable and it kills me. And then, yes. all right, I also like the ending voiceover, which is taken from The Winter of Our Discontent by John Steinbeck, and that was the same book that Brooke was reading in this episode as well. And the voiceover Ooh. quote is, what a frightening thing is the human, a mass of gauges and dials and registers, and we can read only a few, and those perhaps not accurately. I think that's a really good quote to end this episode Mm. so props to whoever chose that to end this because (laughs) i think like this whole love triangle thing that they are setting up it's so true you can't always read people yeah and we are a mass of gauges and dials and registers we're complex so what you think is not always the truth and how you perceive how someone acts is not always how they're feeling and this, it just directly relates to what's going on with Peyton. She doesn't even really know what she's feeling until she starts to feel some jealousy with Brooke and then starts to make that realization. So Luke thought he knew. He thought he knew and like was accepting the fact that they were just going to be friends, but he didn't read the situation accurately. But Peyton also wasn't presenting it accurately. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It, I think this quote just really shows how complex relationships are, and you can't read people's minds. Yeah, because of course Lucas was okay with, like, Peyton, like, quote-unquote, not having feelings for him, because he didn't have the option of pursuing anything romantically with her, and now the option's presented to him, and now he's like, shit, what do I do now? Yep. And I also kind of think it's a little funny. What a frightening thing is the human. (laughs) I think that's, it's kind of funny, because... (laughs) I mean, in a way, it is a little frightening when you can't read people in this kind of context because it's like, I don't know, he, Luke's put in this situation now. <laughs> I don't know. I find that funny because it could be frightening to not really know what others are thinking and what emotions that they're portraying. Is it bad that as soon as you said, what a frightening thing is the human? Like, honestly, that's something I want to start tweeting at Trump supporters. <laughs> Oh, that's good. I'm going to start doing that now. What a frightening thing is the human. (laughs) It's it's a funny line, but like, 
it's true, but it's funny at the same time. <laughs> no, it's so true, and I didn't mean, like, take away from that, but I'm gonna start doing that now. Whenever somebody says, like, racist, homophobic, transphobic, like, sexist shit, I'm just gonna be like, what a frightening thing is the human. <laughs> That's really good. I love it. You should. Oh, gosh. And then... All right, so... I'm not done yet. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) I told you I had a lot of favorite quotes. So we already said this one, but what Deb says to Dan. Mm, Yes. I won't repeat it because we already said it, but it was just (laughs) hilarious. I love how we're thinking it's hilarious. I know, it's not funny, but it's funny. I feel like it's just so funny because it's like, oh my god, we're seeing a woman take charge, and it's just like, it's excited a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's You're exciting. Like, it's not like laughing at her, it's like laughing like, whoa, good job, girl. It's just a good Deb scene. I'll leave mm. it at that. All right, so now I said way too much about favorite quotes, so let's move on to musical <laughs> moment. Jeremy, what was your favorite? Yes. Mine is the coda, and the song is Reoffender by Travis. Same! I just love how that song played over top of the scene. You know, it's like, if you say you love me, then you do it again. It just really heightens the drama, I think. It's just a beautiful scene. It does heighten the drama. I I love that line, too. Because you say you love me, and then you do it again, you do it again. You say your sorries, and then you do it again, you do it again. It directly relates to what's going on with these characters. Mm -hmm. Specifically Peyton. Um, yeah. And oh. one other thing I'd like to note about this song, it's on the first official One Tree Hill soundtrack as well. Oh, very cool. So if you guys haven't actually, for new fans, there are official One Tree Hill soundtracks. There are three of them. So this is the very first one, which is like seasons one and- There was only three, really? There's three soundtracks, yes. Ow. I, I thought there was like five. I, I, for some reason, I have this memory of it being out every season, but I'm probably wrong nope, about that. No, it ended season four. <laughs> that's, so, that's such a shame. It is such a shame. I don't know why they ended. They could have kept going. So that's why I made mm-hmm. my own. Yeah. Check our Instagram. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, check back to our Instagram from July. You'll see all of Caitlin's many playlists. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, it's so funny. I feel like from this point onward, maybe a little bit later on, the final song of each episode of One Tree Hill is going to be so prevalent and so powerful. Honestly, I'm almost thinking like you and I are probably going to have to start like not picking the final scene, the final song. Oh, you're killing me though. That's going to be hard. I know. <laughs> we'll try for a couple episodes, see if we keep picking Dakota because I feel like me personally, I feel like I were to keep picking the final song. Maybe we could talk about our top two then, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like we're always going to pick the coda, because it's just like, because the, the, the codas are such a classic moment. And you remember them. They're just so distinct. Exactly. Like, I always remember the ending of One Tree Hill episodes. <laughs> sure do. Yeah. Like, everybody's like, oh, uh, season three, episode 15. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's the episode where this song plays. It's like, you know? I know. It's funny. I actually, I, I literally just found out a random number, but as soon as I said season three, episode 15, I knew exactly what song played at the end. I know. I can do some of that for some episodes, too. I might be a little rusty, but we're getting back into it, so. Yeah, because, oh, they're so good. But anyway, okay, so cool. We have the same favorite quote. We have the same favorite song. What is your score for the episode? I'm going to give it four out of five tattoos. Ooh. I, I really like this episode. So wait, is it, hold on. Is it a tattoo for have or exist, or is it a tattoo for fun? 
whatever you want it to be. <laughs> I This is a solid episode. Mm-hmm. Just not a huge fan of the whole steroids storyline. So that's why I wouldn't give it a five out of five. But um, yeah. overall, I think it's a great like mid-season finale or winter break or whatever you, whatever they called it back then. But overall, I love the ending to this episode. This is, I think, one of the best mm-hmm. endings. One of the best endings in this season. So that oh. is why I feel it um a solid rating. Four out of five. So what about you? Interesting. Me, on the other hand, I felt like this episode was missing a lot. And it, it all had to do with Peyton. Okay. Like, I don't know. The episode just the episode just didn't rock my world in particular. Just because I, I felt like I wanted more. I wanted more from Peyton. I wanted more from Haley. And, you know, the, the storyline with Nathan, which took over the entire episode, was very interesting. But again, it just didn't, like, resonate with me, I feel like, as many other episodes have in the past and future episodes will. So that's why I give it three out of five Stellas. And if Stella was actually in this episode, I would potentially rate it higher. Okay. But because, like, this episode was missing, I feel like an important piece of the overall story... That's why I had to get it at a lower score. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Criticism. But yeah, this is a great episode, Caitlin. Oh my God, I can't wait to <laughs> see what happens after winter break. <laughs> <laughs> We're not taking a break for winter, bro- for winter break, kids. Just let you know. Like, well, we'll be back. We'll be back in your ears next week. <laughs> you won't have to wait as long. To find out what happens with that love triangle. Yeah. Oh, could you imagine waiting? I know. I, I would have died. Kill me. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Caitlin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is a reminder to turn off this podcast if you do not want any spoilers. So there is a scene earlier in the episode where Nathan is looking at Haley's corkboard on her wall. And Nathan says, are all these your brothers and sisters? And something to know, you never meet a brother of Haley's. No. Is a brother even named? No, it's it's brothers and sisters. You never... This is the weirdest thing. Why did they make... Haley part of such a huge family if they weren't going to actually introduce these characters. Because obviously they introduced two of the sisters. First, it's Taylor, who we see next season, right? Yes. And then all the way in season seven, we meet Quinn. Mm -hmm. It's just, Haley's family life is always such a mystery. But so is Brooks as well, until much later in the series. So, I don't know, I guess they delve so much into Luke's family, and Nathan's family, and Peyton's pretty, they do Peyton's quite a bit as well. Yeah. But yeah, we never get to meet these characters. (laughs) We don't even know their names. Right. (laughs) Quinn is actually named... 
when I don't remember what scene it was or what episode, but I think it was like season two. Oh, really? Or three, where there are a few names that are listed Taylor, Quinn, and there might have been one more, but we never meet. Really? Mm hmm. So. My first memory of um, hearing Quinn's name is at the end of season six, when Haley decides to become an ordained minister to um, officiate Lucas and Peyton's wedding. Oh. She mentions the fact that, like, my sister Quinn got married through a friend who got ordained online. That's the first time I remember hearing Quinn's name mentioned. No, it's definitely, it's two seasons two or three. It's a very short thing. And some, wow. of her, some of her siblings are listed. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll have to be on the lookout for yeah, that. Yeah, we will. It's easier to do it now, because now that we know, like, you know, her siblings' names. But I'm just like, I feel like they weren't intended to do anything with Haley's siblings, at the, you know, ever in the series. And then, of course, they had to, like, the longer the series went on, of course, they had to, like, introduce some of Haley's family to, like, flesh her out a little bit more, flesh out the characters a little bit more. I know, but isn't it so odd? That all of the other characters in this show, you know they're, or at least, like, the teen teenagers, you know they're siblings. Yeah, I mean... I mean, Brooke doesn't have any siblings. Nathan and Lucas are siblings. I guess it's not a very good point, but... I don't know. When you're, um... Because, I mean, we're, we're led to believe that Haley is the youngest, and there's obviously a big age gap between, mm-hmm. like... Her and the rest of her siblings. And, like, let me tell you, people don't even know I have siblings half the time. Because my siblings are so much older than me. <laughs> so, people know about my nieces and nephews before they know about my siblings. That's funny, because how would you have nieces <laughs> and nephews? <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know what I mean? I do, so like, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I, I understand that a little bit, like, why they don't really... It's curious. ...delve into that too much. It's just one of those things, like... I know for storytelling purposes, they have to. That's what they had to do. They just couldn't develop it. I'm just saying, if Haley definitely does have brothers, none of them went to their mother's funeral. True. <laughs> oh, man. That episode guts me. Oh, God. It's so full. Which, that's a long way off, but... Yeah, Woo! so... But, yeah. Overall, the line, brothers and sisters, I don't think they were ever intended to actually introduce siblings. Ever. And then, like, you know, by the time they actually did introduce it, like, the writers obviously could have forgot about it. They probably weren't thinking, like, oh, God, they said, Nathan said brothers and sisters, we should introduce a brother. I don't think that was even, like, a, like, a thought they were having. It was just sort of like, oh, hopefully people forget about it. Because I forgot about it. I never mentioned a brother being named of Haley's. You know, knowing what I know now, I'm like, that stuck out to me immediately. I'm like, brothers and sisters? She only has two sisters. Plot holes. There's something. Slightly. I guess you could say that. Also, why didn't Nathan recognize Taylor? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a plot hole. <laughs> the the girl, the first girl he had sex with, he yep. didn't recognize her from those pictures. So, whatever. We'll just, that was just something I wanted to address. We can move on. We just did a deep dive into <laughs> Haley's siblings. In case y'all cared. <laughs> But let's talk about this other thing that she put down in the notes for the spoiler segment, Caitlin. Love triangle. Man, oh man. It's really heating up now. It's this good stuff. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like Luke and Brooke in season one, eh. I like them way more in season three. And even kind of like there's some chemistry in season two. They have chemistry, but like, I'm not like, Obviously, I'm not shipping them, but... It's, like, more of, like, a sexual nature, I feel yeah. like, the chemistry yeah. that they have on screen. Like, there's a lot of fire between mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret on at the risk of being off brands. What's that? When I watched season one for the first time, I was not chipping Brooke and Lucas together. Oh yeah? Yeah. So <laughs> I did not start chipping up until season two. I like their chemistry that started to happen in, in season two. Yeah. Uh, season two, I was like, I, I was all in. That's all. That's what I really realized. Like, nope, I love Brooke and Lucas together. I love them together. I want them to end up together. They're perfect. I love them. They're great. Season two, like, that's what I was bought. That's what I bought into it. Yep. But season one, I'm like, oh, they're cute. Brooke's cute. I, you know, I, I like them, but I didn't have, like, the same, like, love for them. But, like, still, at the same time, I am still going to continue shipping Team Brucus because I know too much now. Well... I can't unknow what I you, know. You also have to watch it again and see how your feelings change. And I have admitted, excuse me, I have admitted <laughs> that I like, I don't not like Brooke, Brooke, Lucas and Brooke together. Like, I, Bruca? I like, <laughs> what are you I guess saying? I was trying to say Brucus. I don't know what I was saying, but <laughs> I like Brucus. I do. My end game, though, is Layton. So, but I appreciate, and there's some of my favorite episodes in season three. I appreciate it a lot. So I feel like you need to give Layton some love a little bit too, because I will definitely give Brucus some love once we get there. Okay. But why though? I'm kind of liking these tense conversations. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could keep them tense for sure, but you know. And speaking of Layton. I already talked about this in the pilot, but the season three flashback when Peyton is looking back at all of her memories with Lucas through the first three seasons. And this scene at the end of this episode in 109 is part of that flashback. And I, I know I've already gone over this in the pilot, but I love this flashback so much. And seeing this scene in tonight's episode was, it's just, I love it. Oh my gosh. It gets you in your feelings. It really gets me in my feelings. <laughs> Another great callback. The scene where um, Haley closes the door behind herself after Nathan says, stay with me tonight. That exact same scene happens when the two of them get back together after being broken up for a little while. Once I saw that on our notes, I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that from season three. That's mm-hmm. a good episode. Oh gosh, yes. I'll tell you right now, it's a five out of five. That's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> fantastic that's also when brooke and lucas get back together i know and i'm telling you i do like those scenes but <laughs> like laying more <laughs> when she gives them the 82 letters like oh my god i just oh, can't god, I, just it's so can't. Good. I love it so much but on more negative notes Eb and Zan. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about their future what a wild ride we're about to start <laughs> This episode is your first, like, glimpse of the tension. Yeah. And this tension is going to last all of the season, all of next season, all of season three. Like, they just go at it. Absolutely go at it. Yeah. Even after they're divorced or separated. Because they don't get divorced. I don't know. When do they get divorced again? Isn't it like... When do they get divorced? That's a great question. Was it season three that, like, officially they got divorced? Because they don't at the end of this season. I feel like before, um, because I know Deb runs away after she, after Lucas finds out that she tried to kill Dan. Like, she runs away. But I don't think they've ever actually signed any official divorce papers. I don't know. I think it must be season three. 
I think it did officially happen in season three. But, like, I don't know if it ever happened on screen. And we'll just have to say. <laughs> if you know which episode this is, let us know, and we'll give it a callback later. <laughs> one, um, one scene in this episode that particularly resonated with me is when Dan tells Deb, he says, do you really think that Nathan would choose you over me? And I feel like Dan was um, doing a little bit callback to how Deb cheated on him at one point in time. Because we find that out um, later on in the season that Deb had an affair. Yeah, he's kind of holding that over her head a little bit. Or not a little bit. Yeah. <gasps> so I feel like that was like a, a like a subtle touch. Like, I don't know if, they, if the writers had that storyline planned in advance, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I think maybe it's pointing to the fact that, like, she was never around. She was always away for her business. Yeah, that could be it, so. I don't know. What's better? Like... Verbal abuse or being gone for work sometimes? <laughs> I mean, yeah, which one is worse? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, Dan's just worse. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I still say, like, I still say death of the author. Like, that's what I immediately thought. I immediately thought, like, oh, Deb had an affair. Like, that's what Dan's referring to. That's why, like, he, he doesn't think that Nathan would choose her over him. Yeah. So, that just made me think about it. But yeah, this is a great episode. I'm loving the relationships. All the different relationships. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on now, so. So this episode aired on November 18th, 2003, and you had to wait until January 20th, 2004 for the next episode. Wow. Could you imagine waiting that long? I, I cannot, no. It's such a cliffhanger. <laughs> but what you do not have to wait for is the next episode of this podcast, because next week we are discussing season one, episode 10, you got to go there to come back. And taken from our One Tree Hill DVD box sets, the description reads as follows. Concerned about Nathan, Whitey cancels practice, giving Dan time to spend with Nathan on a father-son weekend from hell. And Jake, time to spend with a special girl, six-month-old daughter, Jenny. We'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing ya. ya.